Hello once again, Cougar Nation. Welcome to another edition of VoiceOver with Greg and Shep. I am Greg Rubel. He is Jason Shepard. And our guest today is an analyst for CBS Sports NFL Network. He's a voice on the Madden NFL games and so much more. He is Charles Davis. Charles, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to having this conversation. It's going to be fun. Well, for the last uh, two-plus decades, uh, you, you've been a broadcaster. But for, the, for about the first 10 years, maybe, after your playing career at Tennessee, you were doing a bunch of different things in the world of sports, right? Yeah, I did. You know, before I ever got into the broadcasting, and even after I got in, and I apologize for a little bit of the background there, we have three golden retrievers. So, occasionally they pipe in, so my apologies. <laughs> but going through my life and through my career – you know, I've been involved all in sports, but I was an intern at the Southeastern Conference Office of the Commissioner uh, when Dr. Harvey W. Schiller was the commissioner. I coached football at the University of the Pacific, and I was on the same staff with, uh, with a guy by the name of Hugh Jackson, another guy by the name of John Gruden, and John and I were roommates and during that time, and that's pretty phenomenal. And as I like to tease John all the time, we did so well coaching there that they eventually dropped football. So I don't know quite how that worked out for us. Um, you know, from there, I, was, I worked at the United States Olympic Committee, Director of the Olympic Training Center for four years. I, I was at Stanford as an assistant slash associate athletic director. And then I uh, worked at Disney, at Disney Sports, and became the director of their PGA Tour golf event. So, you know, that was that was a whole lot of fun and then got into the broadcasting full-time and worked my way up through the ranks like most of us normally do. So, you know, I always equate it like baseball, right? You know, you want to get to the show. You know, like Greg's in the show, right? You know, we're doing things there at BYU. But to get there, you got to go through A ball, rookie ball, A ball, single A, you know, double A, triple A and find your way into the show. So I rode the buses like everyone else, and the buses I rode on, they weren't Michael Jordan equipped, okay? So I rode the buses everyone else did and to try and get to where I am now, and here's hoping I can be here for a little while. Well, Charles, you just talked about all the opportunities that you've had, and then you mentioned that you decided to go the broadcasting route. When did you realize that that was the route you wanted to take? Great question, and the easiest answer is this. I was running the PGA Tour golf event for Disney and loving it, having a great time. Um, Davis Love III won the first tournament that I ran. Tiger ran, and Tiger Woods won the second tournament. Not so bad. I, I, let me rephrase. John Houston beat Davis Love III by one stroke the first year, and Tiger beat Ernie Els by a stroke the second year. So not bad, okay? That's a pretty good start. That was going well, but I'd always had the tug, and I'd gotten a small taste of broadcasting, and an opportunity came along from a group called Sunshine Network at the time, which I now is probably Fox Florida, and they gave me an opportunity to do that, do a radio show with a man named Pat Clark, and I just, you know, fortunately, my wife was on board, and you know those, you know, like with your kids in the pool, one, two, three, jump, that's what we did, and we took an opportunity, took a chance, and fortunately enough, kept getting opportunities and kept advancing. And we just, I think our thought process, Jason, was if this flames out, I do have a background in college athletics. I can probably find someplace else to get a job and get started again. That was kind of what we saw as our safety net. But we went ahead and took the jump and took the plunge. 
The big recent news for you, Charles, is your shift from Fox Sports to CBS Sports as their number two game analyst behind Tony Romo. First of all, congrats on that. And how excited are you for uh, this new assignment? Uh, Thank you very much. Very excited. I mean, you know, this is something that, you know, I grew up in New York State. So when you grow up in New York State, and I'm 55 now, you have to remember there was a long time there was no cable TV and not 3,000 channels like we have available to us now. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC. You know, and, and CBS still carries a lot of stroke in my home area because of remembering those were the days. And you know, we have to remember a lot of those Giants games, which dominate the state of New York, were CBS games through the day before a lot of the shifts in broadcasting. Fox came on board, upset the apple cart and the whole deal. So that has, has its roots and it means something. And for me to have a chance to be part of that iconic CBS sports family, you know, that, that, that dotted my childhood, hearing, hearing CBS sports calls and different people and the NFL today and Brent Munster, you're looking live and, you know, <laughs> going through the stadium, whip around. I could go on for days, but it means a lot. Now, let's be frank about it. 14 years at Fox, phenomenal years, great for me, learning experiences, career advancement opportunities that maybe I wasn't sure I would ever have a chance to get. You don't leave that behind lightly, especially the team I was with, with, with Kevin Burkhardt as my play-by-play partner. Pam Oliver was the Hall of Famer on the sidelines and our great producer, director, and team. Leaving them was very difficult. Um, in fact, when I told them, I, I became – I devolved into a blubbering mess. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid to say that. It really hurt to leave them. Um, but this opportunity was is one I couldn't say no to. And I'm really excited about a chance to work with a guy like Ian Eagle and a man named Evan Washburn on the sidelines and their great production team there. And I'm looking forward to getting to learn and meet all those guys really soon. Because of the timing of it all, the NFL has not had to deal with the, the same issues that other professional leagues have had to deal with. The NFL has still been able to hold its draft. Now, obviously, it was virtually. They released the, the schedule for the upcoming season as well. Commissioner Goodell has talked about the fact that he believes that the season will start, and it will start on time. How confident are you that the timeline as we currently know it will be the timeline that ultimately plays out? Ooh. That's an interesting one because – I think that the NFL, as you noted so perfectly, Jason, they weren't affected the same way. You know, if there's if a things are called being fortunate during a time like this, okay, we all know the gravity of the situation, but life trying to navigate it. You're right. The NFL could not have hit it better, right? Because everyone else had to quit. NBA had to come off the court. NHL off the ice. Major League Baseball never truly got on the diamond because they were in spring training. MLS off the pitch, right? The league wasn't playing. But everything else they could do without playing, and they could still practice social distancing, being cognizant of COVID, they were able to pull it off. And, and, and I think that what you're saying inherent in there is the country was looking for it. Can you give us something that we can have? Well, they've been able to do it the rubber is going to meet the road when it's time to go to training camp. Because right now, OTAs and mini camps can be put aside. That's not ideal, but it's also not absolutely crucial. Because we've played without them before. Remember the lockout year of 2011? There were no OTAs and mini camps. 
they, they, the rookies that were drafted didn't see the veterans until they actually went to camp and played a season. And rookie quarterbacks started game one. So it's not like it can't happen. I, I think that the NFL is still going to lean on the Dr. Fauci's, Dr. Burks's of the world. They're going to tell us what's safe, what's not safe, the right things to do. But I think that going forward with a schedule release, we're trying to stay on schedule. We'll adjust if we have to, but let's be prepared if the world changes and opens back up to us. And I liked where their stance is. I mean, it's, there's no shame if they have to make a change. This isn't something that the league did wrong or they screwed up in their, in their model. This is what the world and the, and the universe is telling us. They'll listen to that, I'm quite sure. And I'm pretty sure behind the scenes, they've got every contingency that they're working on now. Is it a 14 game? Is it a 12? Is it a 10? But bottom line is they're planning to go forward. And I think all of us, optimistically, we're kind of jumped in, jumping in that boat with them. Let's go forward until we find out we can't. Let's hit a couple of uh, NFL stories with some BYU ties. And uh, a couple of former BYU Cougars figured prominently in the Kansas City Chiefs run to the Super Bowl. Safety Daniel Sorensen and, of course, head coach Andy Reid. Uh, as a former safety yourself, I know you appreciate the play of Dirty Dan. And, yeah. uh, and certainly Coach Reed's legacy is uh, pretty secure with that win now. Everyone in the league seemed genuinely, you know, thrilled for Andy Reid. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, that, 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 a, that a coach engenders that sort of not just respect, but dare say it, love. I mean, if you didn't have a dog in the fight, right, if you weren't a San Francisco 49ers fan, I would say, you know, the, the NFL universe tilted towards – Hey, let's see, let's see Coach Reed get a Super Bowl win. He's done everything else. It's the one thing he doesn't have. As I argued with everyone, I say he's already a Hall of Famer. Okay, when yeah. it's all said and done, he's going in the Hall of Fame. But a Super Bowl makes it now we don't even have that discussion anymore, right? Which we didn't need to have anyway. He'd been to what? Six six NFC slash AFC championship games prior. Okay, he'd done everything. He'd been to a Super Bowl and lost a close one to New England. The man had, had the accomplishments on the wall. Plus, he's just one of the best people you meet. Like, as a broadcaster, when you go in to meet with coaches and teams, mm -hmm. sometimes there's a little trepidation. You're like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> but with Andy Reid, there's zero, you know? And, and with how the Chiefs organization is run, there's zero. Now, Dan Sorensen, Daniel Sorensen, one of my favorites for this reason. He's so darn versatile, underappreciated, but you know how it is with an underappreciated guy. You appreciate him when you need him, don't you? And the rookie, Juan Thornhill, unfortunately, who was really starting to play well yeah. out of Virginia, coached by Bronco Mendenhall, former BYU head coach. So you guys have all these ties that just keep going <laughs> through here, right? He, he gets hurt. Now Daniel Sorensen has to go back to full active duty as the safety. Because now that, you know, previously they were using him as the extra safety, maybe in a linebacker spot, you know, in their nickel and dime packages, things of that nature. Now he's got to go back and be the guy. Well, the moment's not going to be too big for a guy like that. He's experienced it. He understands it. He understands his role. He's a former starter. Nothing was going to intimidate him. And he played awfully well on a defense that kept getting better for their playoff run. Because you guys remember during the season, there were some bumps on that defense. And people wondered, would that be the Achilles heel? They kept them from winning a Super Bowl title. Turned out, not at all. They actually became a key contributor to winning the Super Bowl title. What they did shutting down Derrick Henry in Tennessee in the AFC Championship game and then the work they did down the stretch against San Francisco after falling behind, 
Yeah, 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 he had a big part in that. It's a lot of fun to watch. Old number 49, he's always around the football, isn't he? Yep. Yes, he is. As a, uh, as a Chiefs fan myself, uh, I, I just want to say thank you for helping me relive them winning the Super Bowl in that conversation. It will never get old. I've watched that game at least 30 times, and I'm not even exaggerating. So, Okay, so now I want to ask you about a guy by the name of Taysom Hill. I'm pretty sure you've heard of him. So. Yeah, he- He's, he's pretty good. So with the contract that the Saints gave him, it certainly appears he has the leg up to succeed Drew Brees whenever he decides to hang it up. Do you expect Taysom to be the guy that follows Drew Brees? And do you think Taysom Hill, what, what are your expectations for Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback in the National Football League? Well, we're all eager to see what happens, although we're not all eager to usher Drew Brees off the playing field, you know, because he's, he's fun to watch and he's magic when he's out there playing. And as a broadcaster, you can't, you can't ask for more than having Drew Brees trot onto the field because some really good things are going to happen that you're going to describe. But if things go the way they appear to be going, Drew will play this year and then head for a broadcast booth, right? So that, that's kind of what we're expecting, even though he signed a two-year deal. Taysom Hill does appear to be next in line, but what was interesting was they signed Jason uh, James Winston to be the backup quarterback this year, but it's a one-year contract. So you're wondering, is it a bridge type of a thing? Does it just protect them as they go? What it signals to me, Jason, I think that they want Jameis to truly be the backup this year, and they want Taysom to continue in his do-everything role, okay? But – Sean Payton has said it, and it's not a secret anymore. He has said it to more than enough of us. I see Taysom Hill as our Steve Young. Now, that is high praise, right? Interesting, last year when Taysom had an opportunity, but they went with Teddy Bridgewater, I think because they like what Taysom does for them all over the place. They had a backup competent guy in Bridgewater. Bridgewater took over for the game Breeze was hurt. Five games, went 5-0, and did his job. Taysom was still able to go do all the other things. It's a tough one for Sean Payton. It's a tough one for the organization because you'd like nothing more than for him to be a true quarterback. But at the same time, a guy who runs down and covers kickoffs, a guy who returns kickoffs, a guy that lines up on the wing and blocks down on J.J. Watt, a guy who can catch the ball downfield and out in the flat. You can hand it to him as a pure running back. He, he, blocks, he blocks field goal attempts and playoff game, punts and playoff games like a, he did against Philly two years ago in a game that we got to call. You don't want to lose those. I mean, plus he's a superior athlete at 4-4. And one of the things I've always been, been – Puzzled is the wrong word, but I find so interesting. You guys saw him at BYU, and I tell people this story all the time because I think we – I was doing college football then, and I think my crew went in for Texas, I think a week after you guys laid waste to him. You remember that when Taysom and that crew just destroyed Texas. And I think you went – Greg, would you go for like 600-plus yards of total offense that night? It was – and Taysom's still running. Like, yeah, I don't remember him really being tackled. The D coordinator for Texas lost his job on yeah. Sunday. Well, he's now the head coach of the University of Miami, so there are comebacks in our deal, Manny <laughs> Diaz. But what I remember, and you guys have to make sure I'm on the right track, Taysom played so hard and so well, but it felt like every year there was a big injury. Yeah. Knee, shoulder, whatever it was, he missed time. He didn't finish out seasons. He's out there. Every time he steps on the field, it's a contact play. He had been hurt yet. 
It's the craziest thing I've ever seen, right? So I'm looking forward to seeing him get his opportunity to be the starting quarterback. I feel like New Orleans is hedging their bets a little bit. But when I saw it was a one-year contract for Jameis, I felt a little more confident that Taysom Hill is, is the guy they're actually looking to make the quarterback. But in this last year, they don't want to lose all the other talents they have from him as well. Because remember this, if they'd made him the number two quarterback last year, he's not doing those other things. And I think New Orleans was like, can we fully sacrifice all that right now? I think you only sacrifice it if Taysom's the starter. Because if he's the number two, you can't have him running down under kickoffs. You can't have him blocking punts. Because if he gets hurt in that role, now you don't have a two, number two quarterback. So I think that's the way Sean Payton and New Orleans was looking at it. It'll be interesting to see after this year, if Drew Brees does retire, as we expect, do they sign Jameis Winston to another contract? Do they bring in someone else? Or do they announce immediately Taysom Hill's not going to be our – now will be our quarterback? Charles, I first met you in, in person a few years ago when you made a visit to, to the BYU campus. Uh, what are your re recollections of that, uh, of that trip to our area? Oh, well, first of all, my big thanks to my, my friend, my childhood friend from New Paltz, New York, Greg Pesci. He and his family um, hosted me while I was out there visiting. And, you know, I love coming out to Salt Lake City, and, 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 but I'd never been to Provo. And I kept saying to him, I was like, you know, I'm really impressed with your head coach, but I don't have games with BYU. I've never had a chance to meet him. But he said, well, we can make that happen. And so next thing you know, hey, okay, I'm on a plane. I'm out there. And, of course, you know how beautiful it is where you live. And you guys have been in enough places that when you come home, you go, oh, yeah, we live in one of the most beautiful spots in America. And that's not hyperbole. I mean, I would challenge anyone watching this show, if you haven't been to the Salt Lake City area, Park City, Provo, Salt Lake, and, and, and go. I'm just saying go. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. The people are great. So we go out there. We, you know, I get to see the campus. I get to meet Coach Mendenhall. But, for you know, Coach, Coach Homo, Tom Homlo was, was the, is the AD. I've known Tom for years before. It was a phenomenal trip for me. But as a friend, to be able to see where my friend, these were his formative years. And not only that, everyone in his family that were kids are all BYU grads. I mean, this is a family legacy now. And I got to see and experience that from remembering when we were 10 and 11 years old playing Little League baseball against each other to see that, that growth. And this is where his, where, where his life went. And Greg's very successful in life, a successful businessman, better father, friend, person than you'll ever meet. But he and his brothers, you know, NJ and, 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 and AJ and, and, and uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just phenomenal. The sister Janine, you know, and I'm missing the youngest one for some reason. But anyway, all those kids doing a fantastic job, all of them BYU grads, and I got a chance to experience what, what, what catapulted them in life. We mentioned the NFL draft a couple of minutes ago, and BYU did not have any players drafted this year. Now, there were three Cougars that signed free agent contracts after the draft was complete. How do you evaluate the BYU football program in terms of NFL prospects? It's a general rule, Jason. They always have them. You know, as a general rule, they always have a ton of – when I say a ton, it, as you know, it all depends on how many people in that senior class or, you know, junior class nowadays that, that are eligible to come out. Sometimes you hit those cycles 
where you are very small in that upperclassmen group that maybe the power is in your freshman and sophomore groups. And I suspect BYU has some of that going on right now because normally, as you well know, we're talking about who got drafted from BYU. And we're talking very good players who are still making their mark on the NFL field. As we know, Daniel Sorensen isn't the only one out there. Taysom Hill, you know, he, they're not the Lone Rangers out there. These are very respected people out playing in the NFL, coming from a really respected program. And I've known Coach Sataki for a while. I remember when he was back as an assistant coach at a couple of places. So I'm always rooting for him. But I think that that turnover and that NFL experience will start to happen more and more as we go on. But every now and then you have it. Look, I'm a Tennessee grad, all right? So we went through a period where we had a kid in every NFL modern, what they call the modern-day NFL draft, started, I believe, in 1933. We had a kid all the way up until 2015, 16, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood. We always had at least one Tennessee player drafted. All those years. And now we hit and it didn't happen. And my colleague at NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah, who's an Appalachian State grad, he started gigging me and teasing me. And that became our theater every year at the draft. Appalachian State, Tennessee, who's having more? And App was having more guys drafted. We had one or two years we didn't have anyone drafted. Now, as a proud volunteer playing in the SEC, you wouldn't expect that to be, you know, that stage. Well, we went through that little bit of that period where we had a couple drafted this year. And I think the wave is going to start again. We look like we're getting better as a program. You guys put a dent in that on us last year. So, so you know, don't forget that part. You came in and got us <laughs> and earned a, earned a nice victory on us in week two. But what I'm saying is occasionally you have that, but typically programs like yours, like, like my volunteers, we find ways to get back going again. It looks like we're headed in that direction. I think that you're headed in that direction. We'll be talking about kids being drafted down the road. So, Jason, I think next year you and I ought to talk before the draft and maybe we can see if we get more BYU or Tennessee guys that go in next year and we can jump in on Jeremiah and his Appalachian State Mountaineers. Yeah, sounds, sounds like a plan. Let's, Charles, let's stay with the, the college game. BYU, as an athletics program, conducts itself as a P5 program, even without the designation and then obviously the benefits that come along with that. Do you believe that BYU is deserving of a P5 invite whenever the next shakeup happens in terms of college football expansion? I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, you've always been that type of a program, you know, and, and we can say you're not P5 and all that, but you know how hard it is to get people to schedule and play you. People don't really want to do that because they know <laughs> that could be a loss, right? You know, if we're going non-conference, is that what we really want to do? But those who have the guts to do it and those who have the foresight, they realize that's a good intersectional battle. Think about how you guys traveled to Knoxville last year. Think about my Knoxville people coming to see you. When's the return game? Is it two years now? I think it's 23. Huh? 23, right? In 23, that's going to be a heck of a trip for, for my people in, in Tennessee. They're going to want to go out there, and you go back and look and watch how the volunteers travel. And by 23, I would think that we're going to be a pretty good team. I think we're headed back towards being pretty darn good. You know, after you guys laid it on us, we ended up having a pretty good season last yeah. year. We ended up winning eight in a bowl game and all that. So, so I think that that, you know, that's what you get, and you get national media. The national media treats – BYU like a national 
team should be treated. And so I would love to see that happen, but it has to fit for you as well. You know, and, and when I've talked with ADs, when I've talked with commissioners and people like that, the esteem you're held is, is very high. Are there factors that people are always concerned about? Will this work? Will this not work? You know, Sunday always comes up. It's always, always a deal. And I always laugh about that for one reason. I was doing, I was doing something. I can't remember what. I'm traveling, and I was coming through Atlanta, and I'm changing planes. I'm at the Crown Room. And I run into a person who was on the NCAA basketball committee. And you remember what year I'm talking about, when they had messed up and put you in a Friday-Sunday bracket, even though they knew they couldn't put you in a Friday-Sunday bracket. You had the waivers in. Everyone knows it when you walk into the room. However you see BYU, it's got to be a Friday, you know, a Saturday, you know, a Thursday, Saturday. And somehow they messed the whole thing up. You guys remember that year? Oh, yeah. Yep. That was crazy, right? And the look on his face is like, oh, my God. So how much of that plays into things? I can't even begin to tell you because I haven't been in those meetings. I don't know how that works. Would they give you this? Would they give you that? I know that some conferences – would be tougher about it than others because I could just see those ADs. I know these ADs. Competitive disadvantage. If, if they're never having to do this and we're always having to do this and our kids have to go to class, you get the idea. But as far as a program, as far as, as competitiveness, as far as, as matching up, you know as well as I do, that's a non-issue. You know? And I told Greg, my, my friend Greg, years ago, my volunteers, we thought we were going to play you in the Holiday Bowl, 1984 National Championship year. We thought we were going to have a chance to match up with you. We were so excited about that opportunity. And something went haywire. We ended up in the Sun Bowl. And you got Michigan instead, another national power who was struggling a little bit that year. They had quarterbacks beat up. I think they went six and five, which is, as you know, is unusual for Michigan. And you guys beat them and won the national title. I'm not about to sit here and tell you we would have gone out there and beat you. But we wanted the chance. You know, we wanted that opportunity because that's the best team in the country. Who wouldn't want to go play against the best team in the country? And I still remember the guts of Robbie Bosco that night. Oh, my goodness. Playing on that knee injury and battling his way through and guiding you guys to a national title in a heck of a ball game. Yeah, the respect is there across the country. Just, just ask anyone. And so, so you ended up having to play Maryland, played Maryland for a second straight year. You just played him in a bowl game the year before, and you had to play Maryland the second straight time. It could have been BYU ended up being Maryland again in El Paso. Ended up being Maryland. We would much rather have played a different team. And, look, who wouldn't want to have the chance to play against the number one team in the country? I mean, you know, again, we don't know that we beat you, but the you won the national championship for a reason that year, okay? It's not like we come waltzing out, hey, we got BYU. It would have been a heck of a fun matchup because we felt like we could run. And as one of the staples of a Tennessee team, you typically we can run. So if you can run, maybe we can keep up with these guys as they fling it around a little bit. Who knows? But we just would have loved to have had the chance. In fact, that jersey over my shoulder, that's my Sun Bowl jersey. And it's one of my worst games, one of my worst games ever at Tennessee. I gave up a key touchdown pass to a guy named Farrell Edmonds, who was later a number one draft pick in the NFL as a tight end, went to the Pro Bowl a couple times. But he was a freshman tight end, and he beat me on a pass route. And my coach, to put it mildly, was a bit upset. And that was the worst thing that ever happened. We lose by one. And Frank Reich, the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, was the quarterback of that team. And I told him that story. And he said, um, my daughter, by the way, is a psychiatrist. You want me to schedule a session for you? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so we, we see your Tennessee jersey and Tennessee helmet there behind you. And it reminds me uh, of, you know, one of the reasons you became a volunteer. I, I grew up in Canada. Yeah. And as a kid, one of the star quarterbacks of the CFL when I was a kid was a, was a player by the name of Conrad Holloway. Oh, yes. And he, he was amazing. And, and one of the reasons you end up at Tennessee is because of Conrad Holloway, in a way, right? Yeah, there's no question about it. I, um, you know, growing up in New York State, my mom was from Tennessee, my dad from West Virginia. And Tennessee opened up, I believe, the 1974 season against UCLA on ABC Sports. And back then, you guys might remember, you might get on TV once, twice a year. You know, it wasn't like you're on every week like we are now. And I saw him play and was just mesmerized and captivated and told my parents that day, I think I was eight or nine years old, I'm going to go to Tennessee hmm. and play football for, for the volunteers. I love Condridge Holloway. So I ended up with a number seven jersey and the whole deal. And it worked out that I was able to get there and play. But the kicker to the whole story, because Condridge was playing so well and having that career in Canada, you know, the seasons don't match up. You know, you start in the summer and finish at Thanksgiving. I never met Condridge Holloway. The reason I went to Tennessee, I never met my hero until he was retired from playing in Canada and I was done playing at Tennessee. That's the first time I got to meet him. I met him at an event. And I went up and introduced myself, and he said, I know who you are. And I said, you do? He goes, yeah, you came because of me. And so he already knew the story. And I'm fortunate enough now that I've, I can say that I've been a friend of Condor just since we met. And, and how cool is that? To meet your childhood hero, he turns out to be even better than what you could ever expect, and you get a chance to call him a friend. I was pretty lucky. Well, it's a great story, and uh, you've got a lot of them. And thanks for sharing a few of them. Uh, with us today. We'll be excited to watch you as we have. We'll just watch you in a different place on, on Sundays now uh, with, with Iron Eagle. We look forward to, to seeing you in that new role. And uh, of course, you know, and whether it's the, the Madden games or NFL Network, you're so many places, Sirius XM. Uh, I don't get tired of it. So hope you don't get tired of it either. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I know a lot of people, I keep telling them for the Madden game, there's a mute button. You've got that. <laughs> the radio, you can turn the radio down or change the station. And you can also hit the mute button when I'm doing games if you're sick of me. But here's hoping that people don't get too sick of us, sick of me and sick of this opportunity. And just like the two of you, we're doing something we love, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. And we consider ourselves lucky, fortunate, and we continue to work hard at what we do. And, yes, it's everyone's, you know, it's like a, you know, like a dream, right? When we go to a party or something, people want to talk BYU sports with you guys. And you guys live it. So it's probably some days you'd like to talk about something else. But how many times do you get back home and think to yourself, yeah, that's pretty cool, huh? I get to do this because I do that every day. Well, Charles, we appreciate it. Thank you as always. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me, guys. Continued success to the Cougars. Thank you. You can find every episode of VoiceOver with Greg and Shep on the BYU TV Sports YouTube page. Plus, you can listen to the audio version by subscribing to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel or by going to the show page on BYURadio.org. And don't forget, for even more Cougar Sports content, live or on demand, make sure to download the BYU TV and BYU Radio app. Special thanks once again to our guest, the great Charles Davis. We'll talk to you next time. Go Cougs!